Hi, church. Welcome. So glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, this is the most significant weekend in the history of mankind. No doubt about that because it changes everything. And these two things um, have been running through my mind and just seem um, not, not, uh, not cliche in any way, shape, or form. I, I almost hate the idea of saying something that's cliche, but um, when is a cliche not a cliche? When it's absolutely right on the truth. So these two things just uh, appear to me to be so correct for this moment in time. One is this. Our buildings may be empty this weekend, but so is the tomb, man. And if the tomb is empty and God can use that as a place in order to touch the world, then we will, we will take this weekend and use it to touch the world. And it leads right into my second thought that I've been sharing uh, with some of our staff and some of my friends. I believe, I have no proof of this, but think about it. I think that, um, that, that logical reasoning would say that this is very possibly the truth, that more people this weekend, the weekend that we're on right now, more people this weekend will hear the message of the good news of the kingdom of God than ever before at one time in the history of the world. And let me tell you why I think that. There are more people alive, almost seven billion people on our planet. So just the odds of more people hearing it, uh, number one. Number two is this, that more people have access to the internet this weekend than ever before in the history of the world. Three, the coronavirus, as wicked as it is, as ugly as it is, the Bible says that God takes things that are meant for evil and can do good with them. So think about this. On this Easter weekend, much of the world has been ordered to, to shelter in place. They've been put in a position where they can't go anyplace else. And so many people uh, this weekend will be uh, relegated to their household or to the place that they're sheltering in. And because uh, of their ability to connect in the, uh, to the internet, more people will, because of sheltering in place, be looking at the internet and hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And then fourth, uh, because churches have had to, for the most part, learn to take the message of the good news and take it away from the four walls of the church and learn to digitally approach the world, which has had a multiplication, not addition, but multiplication effects. All of those things combined together that this weekend, more people will hear the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited for the part that we get to play in that right there. It reminded me of a scripture. Maybe you've heard the scripture, but this is Matthew 24, 14. This gospel, and that just means good news. The good news of the kingdom of God shall be pro proclaimed in the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. And that end is not like the end of, of the earth, the end of humanity, the end of, of the living. It means the end of this age, right? Of of being fallen away from God. The end of that will stop and the age of the kingdom of God will be ushered in. And wouldn't it be awesome if this weekend was the weekend where all the people who need to hear heard and Jesus enters the picture in a reality that's never before been experienced by the world. Wow, I'm excited about that right there. 
So our message this weekend for Easter, we're going to play off of something that we're all familiar with, shelter in place. Shelter in place. And we're using that because I'm going to take two scriptures and connect the idea that God offers us shelter. Shelter from harm, shelter from the storm, shelter from the things that are, uh, that are ugly and evil. Um, but honestly, the shelter is the shelter of salvation. And I'll explain that as we get into the message. So uh, let me give you these two scriptures and I'll tie them together. The first one I shared um, back in the very beginning when all of this with the coronavirus started, I found this verse and I just sent it out to different people because it was, um, it was one of those verses that even though it was written uh, you know, 2,500 years ago, the, the, um, the coincidence of the words is unbelievable. The symmetry is just, it's incredible. So l- listen to what Isaiah says. Come my people, he's speaking first person for the Lord. Come my people, enter your chambers, your houses, the place where you where you live, uh, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, not forever, but just for a moment, until the indignation is past. So the words of that are just, what, what have we been asked to do? Come into our shelter and hide ourselves, separate ourselves for just a little while until the indignation this disease has passed us by. And when I read that, I, it just, wow. It's why the Bible, when it says it's a living document, it's alive and it's active and it's, 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 it's as incredibly impactful today as it was when the words were given from God, in some cases, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It's a living, active Holy Spirit touched word that is still applicable in all areas of our lives. And then because this is the resurrection weekend, Easter weekend, Exodus chapter 12, 13, uh, the context, the Israelites are finally able to leave Egypt. They were slaves there. God had uh, given Moses the word of deliverance to Pharaoh, let my people go. The Pharaoh represents the enemy. Egypt is slavery. Uh, It represents sin, holding on to God's people. Israel, God's people. Um, And Moses, the deliverer. Jesus, the deliverer. The word is to the enemy, let my people go. You remember the plagues that came in order to soften the Pharaoh's heart so that he would do what God was telling him to do. And the final terrible plague was the death of the firstborn, of every firstborn male and every firstborn animal in all of Egypt was going to die as the final plague to cause the Pharaoh to let God's people go unless they took the blood of the sacrificial lamb, which everybody participated in by touching the lamb. They had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of their houses or their shelter and then go inside. And the angel of death would pass over or pass by them while they were sheltering inside so that what was happening is those who were not in the shelter would suffer the consequences. So those who are not in the shelter of Jesus suffer the consequence of death 
And that's literally what it means. And so I connect these two scriptures together. Uh, it's just amazing in my mind, the symmetry between the two things. So I'm going to use that to bring the message uh, to you today. So let me give you these three things. If you want to take notes, uh, if that's your way of learning, and I encourage that, you would be doing that most likely online. You can also use uh, pen and paper uh, if you want to just listen, listen. But here's the first one. God gives us an invitation for shelter, an invitation for shelter. Um, every book of the Bible, from Genesis through Revelations, every book of the Bible has a picture, uh, as it were, of who Jesus is in that particular book. So they call it the scarlet thread of redemption. And it means that in every book, it was foretelling before Jesus was born that he was coming and it gives us a picture of who he is. And then after he was born, died and resurrected, all the books written after are able to clearly give a picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So all the way back in the book of Genesis, uh, there was a word that was given to Noah. You remember the story about Noah. God told him to build an ark, that a flood was coming, and that whosoever wanted to get on the ark to find safety could. The Bible says that for a hundred years, Noah was a preacher of righteousness in his generation. But if you know the story, when the flood came and the door to the ark was closed, how many people got on it? For a hundred years, Noah kept telling people, get on the ark, a flood is coming. Get on the ark, it's safety. Get on the ark, you'll live. And he did that for a hundred years, effectively building the ark while he was preaching so that people could see it. And people didn't believe, doubted. And then when the day that the rains came and the fountains of the deep broke open and the flood came, the only people on the ark were Noah, his wife, his sons and their wives. That's it, of all the earth, they were the only people who listened. The point is, listen very carefully, the point is each book of the Bible paints a picture of who Jesus is. In this case, Jesus is the ark of safety. Your safety, the place that you find shelter, the place that you run into, the place that you go to escape death is Jesus. There are no alternatives. There are no other arcs. He is the ark of safety, of salvation, and of shelter. And here's the good news. It's not raining yet. You have time. Today's the day of salvation. You have time to get on the ark of safety. Um, speaking of just the idea of shelters, um, we had a little dog. All of our family, Chris's side of the family, loves schnauzers, little German schnauzers, the miniature kind. And they're cute little dogs, and they have a lot of things going for them that some dogs don't. For instance, they're small, love that. They don't shed, yes. They are clean little dogs, neat little, neat little dogs, just friendly, loyal, fun. They're, they're just good little dogs, better than every other dog. Maybe, maybe not, okay. I'll give you that's a debatable issue. But we had a little dog named Munchie. And Munchie was just, uh, his, his official name was Munchhausen. We named them after German because they're German schnauzers. So Munchhausen, but we called him Munchie. And Munchie and I would go for walks on a pretty regular basis. And I lived close to a golf course so that we would walk 
all different times of the year, spring and summer and fall and winter. And I remember uh, one afternoon, one of those Colorado winter afternoons where you could see the dark clouds build up over the mountain and the wind coming from the north and pushing up against the mountains. It was that, that, that storm uh, against the front range where it's setting up just right to begin to dump snow. And, and Ziggy and I had gone, I'm sorry, Munchie and I had gone out for a walk. Our second dog's name is Ziggy. Uh, he is a naughty dog, not like Munchie. So we took, we took the dog and we were going for a walk. And on the golf course, there are little shelters so that in the summertime, if there's a lightning storm, you can go into these shelters and it has a lightning rod to deflect the, the, um, the lightning and to keep you safe out of the rain and safe from the lightning. But in the wintertime, when nobody's out there playing, as we were walking along, man, it began to snow. It came so fast, that upslope, and it came so fast. And it was just, it was one of those ones where it seemed like it was two, three inches an hour that was coming down. And I got caught out in it. And we were trying to get back. We'd gone on a pretty long walk, a couple of miles away from the house. We were trying to get back to the house. And I came across one of those little shelters. And Munchie and I went into the shelter and the snow was just coming down, and we just sat in that little shelter together and, and kind of huddled up together and watched the snow come down. And here we were, in the middle of this storm, we found this shelter that protected us from all of the elements that were going on. And the only reason I share that, it's a nice picture, a good picture of what it is that Jesus provides for us in the storm of the things that happen around us and to us and that sometimes we witness and we're, we're caught up in it as we're trying to function, right? God offers us a table in the presence of our enemies. He offers us a shelter in the storm and he offers us a way out of the trouble so that it doesn't touch us and we're protected. And if it's true that God offers to us good shelters, then you know that the enemy has a, uh, a false uh, shelter that he offers to people, uh, a false idea of a shelter that they think is going to protect them. I, I shared this story uh, to our church <clears throat> on a number of uh, different messages through, through the years, but um, a, a vacation that my family took years and years ago where we had left Denver and we were going back east, driving out I-70 out there on the eastern plains. And you know how that looks. Everything becomes so flat as soon as you get away from the mountains. And it stays like that until you hit the Atlantic Ocean, basically. It's just, uh, it's just so flat in so many places, and I'm exaggerating. I know that there are the, the mountains on the east coast. But uh, as, we, as we were driving out on the eastern plains of Colorado, Chris is asleep. The kids are all, at this point, they're, they're young and they're asleep in the back of our minivan. And I'm driving along somewhere uh, after Flagler, Colorado, for those who know, but before Burlington. So somewhere out in that area. And if you've been that way, I just painted a picture. You know exactly what it looks like. Tons and tons of farmland, grazing land. And from the distance, I could see a sign, probably a, a 75 or 80-foot sign uh, a pole that went up and then a huge sign on the top of it. And as we got closer, it, it stood out because there was nothing else for miles around. And as we got closer, uh, I could see maybe 50, 75, 100 cows had all gathered around the base of this huge billboard post 
that went up. They were trying to seek some shade from the sun. And if you just follow, so here's all these cows at the bottom and right in the middle of them is a, 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 a signpost that went up, I'm serious, 75 feet. It was huge. You could see it for miles. And then at the top was a picture of a hand holding a knife and a fork and a really juicy steak and they were cutting through the steak and then it said this, you might remember the tagline, beef, it's what's for dinner. Beef, it's what's for dinner. So I look at the sign and I follow it down to the cows and I look at the cows and I look back up at the sign and I'm thinking to myself, this is absolutely ironic that these cows are seeking shelter in the very thing that represents their death. And so we go, ah, stupid cows, right? Wrong. Think about the people that you and I both know. But maybe our neighbor, um, maybe our friends, maybe even ourselves. The, the way at times we seek shelter from things that absolutely represent our destruction and our death. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll turn to things to... to to self-medicate ourselves from the anxiety and from the pressure that we feel. Uh, we'll, we'll eat things for comfort that are harming uh, the, the body that God has given us, trying to find some way to relieve the stress, right? We're not flattening the curve, we're fattening the curve, as it were. Or how, how about this idea, and I'm not joking about this, People that turn even to other people who are destructive to them, but they go to them trying to find shelter from the storm. And so we think about those cows and we think how silly that is. They didn't know any better. And sometimes, listen, we don't know any better too. And that's why God offers us shelter that's good. And the shelter, I cannot be any more clear. The shelter is Jesus. These are his words. I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life and no man, no woman, no person comes to the Father unless they come through me. There are no alternatives to the shelter. There is one shelter. There is one ark of safety and his name is Jesus. And the good news is he stands with arms wide open in an invitation, come to me, come to me. So the second one, let me just give this to you, right? An invitation for life. Using these two scriptures, Isaiah 26, 20 and Exodus 12, 13, I think that both of them combined uh, speak to us of an invitation for shelter and they speak to us as an invitation for life. Both stories invite people to choose life over death. Both stories paint the picture, use the, the clarity of enter into your shelter and hide yourself for a little while as the indignation or the angel of death passes by. Both can represent the same thing. So God gives an invitation to people. He can't force people, right? There, there was no forcing them into the house. They had to choose whether or not they wanted life or they wanted death. The choice is yours. So friend, I just, I, I, because it's Easter weekend, I, I strip away all of the pretense of, of trying to find, uh, you know, words to disguise so that you'll come close. I just strip away the pretense and bring it straight to you, unadulterated, not watered down, not sugar-coated, straight up. 
Life is a choice. Death is a choice. And you make it when you choose or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of making a right choice changes everything. Just like the power of making a wrong choice changes everything. Now the good news, let me balance that real quickly. If you've been making wrong choices, for sure there are consequences. But even today, today is the day of salvation. And if you will make the right choice today, God is faithful to you, not only for today, but the Bible says to a thousand generations, your choice today can change the future of your child, your family, your friends, your destiny tomorrow. Make the right choice today. But if that's true, then it's equally true that the wrong choice today is stacking up what the future is going to look like for you and for the people that you have influence over. You have influence. The power of a right choice always brings me back to a place in my life where God offered me the choice between life and death. Uh, I was 15 years old, and uh, I don't think that I was the most self-aware 15-year-old. In fact, if you were to talk to my mom and ask her what kind of a 15-year-old I was, I was a pretty self-absorbed 15-year-old teenager. I thought about myself, and I thought about my happiness, and I thought about, uh, I think that most of us at that age can be very selfish, and I think that's where I was in life. But a series of events brought me to a place in my life where I literally was asking the question, why am I here? Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked the question, why am I here? Or have you lived long enough and done things your own way where you've said to yourself, is this all there is? There's got to be more to life than this. Have you ever been there? I think that so many of us end up in that place. And at 15, I found myself, maybe not fully like someone who's, who's lived a life and had more experience, but I think that the commonality that we all come to at some point in our life is that we ask ourselves, why am I here? What is it all about? What, what is my purpose? And I remember having enough knowledge that I picked up a Bible and I said to God, God, tell me why I'm here. What is my purpose all about? And I know that, I know you're thinking, wow, at 15, you were that self-aware? No. At 15, though, I had a God who loved me and who cares for me, just like he does for you and for yours. And when I stopped and asked the question, why? I think that he longs to answer that question for us. So I picked the Bible up. And I literally, I played Bible roulette. I was just going through it, trying to find a place. And I'm not suggesting that this is the way to read the Bible, but I'm just telling you what my story was. 15 years old, in Slidell, Louisiana, in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I asked the Lord, what is it about? Why am I here? What do you want me to do? And going through my Bible, my eyes landed at Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and I read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives can be free, that the blind will see, 
and that the oppressed, listen, the oppressed will be broken out of their oppression and set at liberty. That the time of the Lord's favor has come to mankind. Those are literally the description of the time or the year of Jubilee. And it's why we named our church what we named it, Jubilee Fellowship. Because this is the time of God's favor on the earth. He loves you and he reaches out to you today. Friend, don't let me be the stumbling block. I realize that that some of the things I say and do can get in the way of this good, good news. But see my heart for what it is. Man, I stand here today proclaiming the thing that God put on me. That this is the time of God's favor. That the spirit of the Lord is on me to tell you good news. That God loves you and he cares for you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's not just cliche. And it's not just a pipe dream. And it's not just good sounding words. God loves you. God calls to you right now. Man, if you're watching this, it's the proof that God likes you. Maybe you wondered, how does God feel about me? Listen, I'm telling you, if you're hearing my words right now, it's the proof that God likes you. Think all around the world this weekend, all of the life-giving churches and uh, preachers and ministers and people who are proclaiming the life-saving good news of Jesus All of that is proof that God loves this world. He loves, loves, loves this world. So at 15, I read those words and I know, listen, I I can't answer all your questions of doubt. And if you judge this as being phony and false and stupid, I, I can't answer your question. All I can do is tell you my story And I do have this proof (laughs) that 40 plus years later, saying yes to God changed everything. It changed my destiny. It changed the destiny of my wife. It changed the destiny of my children and my children's children. It changed the destiny of who they married. It changed the destiny of where we're going. It changed the destiny of so many people this weekend that'll hear this message. Me making the right choice at 15 is making a difference all around the world and can make a difference for you today. God loves you. What choice will you make? So I can't say it any more clear than what I'm saying. Life is an invitation that you either say yes or you say no to, You can't be neutral. And if you think to yourself, well, I'll just wait and see. Jesus himself talked about that very thing by saying that there is no neutrality spiritually. You're either for me or against me. For me or against me. And I know that just sounds like, pastor, you're taking away all the choices. No, no, no. I'm offering you the choice. Choose life. You know, through the Bible, there are several places where it says God sets before us Life, death, blessing, cursing, and then this admonition. Therefore, choose life. If life is so obvious, why do we have to be encouraged to choose it? Here's why. Because the enemy will disguise death as though it were life. All the way back to the very first story that the Bible gives us. Speaking of spiritual principles, the enemy tempts mankind with the very fruit that God said 
the day you eat of this, and this is the only fruit you can't have, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the way that the enemy tempted them was to show it to them, to question God, did he really say? And then the Bible says, when Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasant to the eye, that it looked like it would taste good and it looked like it would give her something that she didn't have. She pushed away what God offered and chose what the enemy offered. And God had said specifically, the day you eat of it, you will die. My point, God sets before us life and death, blessing and cursing, and encourage us to choose life. And if it was so obvious, then everybody would do it. And it's not obvious. And the enemy uses that skillfully to deceive people. And I'm trying to say to you today, Jesus is not a good man. Jesus is not a good path. Jesus is not a philosopher. Jesus is God. He is the way to open your eyes, your understanding, your heart. He, he is the way, the truth, the life. And no person comes to the Father without going through Jesus. The third one is just simply there's an invitation from Jesus to all of us today. This weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the year because I'm able to, to put away all the pretense of all what we're trying to do throughout the years and just make it so clear. God has made his love for us so clear. He loved us so much that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but can have everlasting life. We choose the invitation. We say yes to Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight is one of my favorite scriptures. Listen to this. Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. And then it puts this uh, as a sidebar. Especially burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace and no life. And I will give you rest, refreshing for your soul and your salvation. Jesus stands today, arms of friendship, wide open. His hand outreached to you, extended to you, asking you, do you want peace? Do you want joy? Do you want life? Giving you the opportunity to choose. Come to me is a choice. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. You choose. In the Old Testament, that scripture that I used to begin this message from Exodus, uh, it says, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's a choice to apply the blood of the sacrifice to your life. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It, it paints a picture from the Old Testament and fulfills in the New Testament through Jesus. The sacrifice is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. And on a cross, he spilled his blood and took our punishment. He took our place so we could have his place. He died universally for all people but it's applied individually through a choice. And what choice will you make today? 
Will you choose life? Will you choose Jesus? Will you make him the Lord of your life? The beauty of the resurrection is this wonderful point right here. Here's what it means. The resurrection means all things are possible to him who believes. So all things are possible to have life and to have salvation, to be forgiven and to find friendship with God. The resurrection is the proof that all things are possible. So I wanna give an invitation for these two things and I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Do you need God's mercy and do you need God's grace? Do you need his friendship? Do you need shelter? Will you choose life? Do you want God's mercy? It's a choice. How do you choose it? By saying to God, be merciful to me. God, forgive me. God, I say yes to you. There's not a specific prayer that you have to continually say in order to get God's attention. From the sincerity of your heart, all you need to do today is to say to the Father, yes, I need your mercy, and I need your grace, and I need your love, and I want your life. How you say it is not important. It's the place of your heart that you say it from that matters. To sincerely say to God, help me, help me. I'm a sinner and I need your help. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus teaches about two people that approach the altar asking God for mercy. One was a Pharisee who was self-righteous and he stood before the Lord and said, God, I do all these wonderful things. Surely you'll give me your mercy. And the other one was a sinner who was so humble and so aware of his own shortcomings that he couldn't even look up when he stood at the altar. The Bible says that he beat his breast. It's an Old Testament signification of humility and sorrow and repentance. He just beat his breast and he said, Father, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And then Jesus asked the question, which one do you think God will show mercy to? And the people who heard said, well, of course, it's the one who approached God in sincerity and humility. And it's just that simple. We don't approach God through our self-righteousness. God, I've been a good person. God, I'm trying really hard. Uh, God, I'll show up next week. God, you must be really pleased with my efforts. We approach God with humility. God, I need your help. God, I'm not worthy because of me, but because you love me, I approach you and I say yes. What a difference between those two people. And I just wanna say to you today, if you need his mercy and you need his love, you need a shelter. He offers it to you today, friend. God offers to you today his grace and his mercy. And if you will just simply say, just from sincerity, God help me a sinner. I promise you, all of heaven and all of earth is pushed aside so that God can reach out to you. And the Bible says in heaven there's such a celebration because a sinner has come home. And the second person that I want to offer an opportunity to today would be a person who possibly at some point in your life, you've known the goodness of God and the salvation of God and you've, you've called God a friend. But through circumstance, through whatever, 
choices you made or choices that someone else made. You found that your path walking with God somewhere, it diverged. And through the years of life or the storms of life, you found yourself feeling very separated from him like you're here and he's over there and you're aware of him, but not close to him. And I would offer to you today this reality that God invites all of us, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, especially with all the things that religion adds on. Just come to me, those of you who need rest and who need mercy, and I'll give it to you. Yes, it's in the context of people who have never found mercy, but it's also good for those who find themselves away from the intimacy, the closeness, the goodness of God. He offers to you today his salvation, his restoration, his reconciliation. Jubilee, the reason we exist, this is a place where you can discover and you can recover the promises of God. And those two things go out this weekend to all people who hear this. You can discover God's love, mercy, and grace for the first time, or you can recover it if you need it. Pray with me. Father, for every person right now, wherever they listen to this message at, if they're in their living room right now, if they're in their car right now, if they're out walking and listening through a device, however this message reaches people this weekend, I want you just to stop for a second in space and time and answer this question. Do you need God's mercy? Do you need his love? Do you need his friendship? Do you want to be forgiven? If you say yes to those things, then I, I ask you to make the choice right now and say yes to Jesus. How do I do that again? Just from the simplicity and the humility of just saying to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your help. God, I recognize I need your help. However you say that to God, he will hear you right now. And he will come to you and do exactly what he said. He will give to you his friendship, his mercy, his forgiveness, and new life. So if that's you right now, say yes. Come on. Say yes. Yes, God. Yes. Yes. If you find yourself in that other place where you've known the goodness of God and you've walked in the truth and the mercy of God, but somehow you find yourself feeling very far away, very distant, maybe even at odds. I invite you right now on behalf of the Father, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, listen, you don't have to be far away. You don't have to find your path continuing to diverge farther and farther away from the Father. Today, you can come home like a prodigal. The reason the story of the prodigal is in the Bible is that prodigals can come home. Today, you can come home. You can say yes to God and he will close the gap. He'll bring you close to himself. He'll call you his own. The Bible paints the picture of the father of the prodigal 
who when he saw his son, his child, coming home from a long distance, the father ran to the son. We have a God who will run to his people when they turn to him. Turn to him today. Make that choice. Come home. Come home. What a day. All things are possible because of the resurrection. Amen and amen. When I'm done after communion, I'll have some instruction for you. If you made that decision today to either for the first time uh, invite God into your life and give him that issue of lordship, uh, going to him for shelter, then I've got some information for you. And if you're a prodigal who is making their way back to the Father today, I have some information to you. So please stay tuned until after we're done for that. But in the meantime, we're gonna take communion today because this weekend is when communion was introduced to the body of Christ. Now I hope that you're ready to do it. I hope that you've gathered together your elements. Uh, if not, and you can get to them very quickly, go right now. Um, get your grape juice. Uh, get some form of the bread. Um, and let's do this together. Even though we're separated um, by uh, distance this morning, in the spirit, the Bible says we're one. So we're going to do this as a family as one. And I can't wait to do this in person with you again. So the Bible says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he did three things. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And it's a metaphor in many ways for our lives. God blesses us. Sometimes we're broken, and through the brokenness, there's multiplication, isn't there? And in this time where it feels very broken, more people will hear the gospel. Isn't it amazing how our Jesus works? But he took the bread and he thanked the father for it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of what I've done for you. And so wherever you are and however you are able to do this, let's together eat the bread. The Bible says in the same manner, he took the cup and he lifted it up to the father uh, in the Passover the Seder meal, uh, it's the third cup. There are four cups that you drink from. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And Jesus stopped when he lifted up the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. It's the new covenant based on better promises ratified in the blood of Jesus so that when you take this in, a blood covenant is an unbreakable, eternal covenant when it comes from the Father. So today, we enter into this life and we ratify the promises of God by drinking of this blood that Jesus shed for us. Let's drink together. This makes us more than a church. It makes us more than just a people group. It makes us brothers and sisters. It makes us one in the Lord. And I want to bless you this resurrection weekend, this Easter weekend. I want to thank you for being a part of what God is doing. 
And I want to congratulate you, those who made the decision for Jesus today. Best choice you could ever make in your life. You're going to be amazed at what it means through history and into eternity. I love you. Can't wait to see you. I'll talk to you soon.